0: Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, tonight, let's go to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15, we're going to begin right there at the beginning of the chapter in verse number 1. Um, and uh, we'll read verses uh, 1 through 7. And then we'll pray, we'll do a little recap over uh, the last chapter and move on into things here tonight. And so look at, with, look at the Bible in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse number one with me. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Our Father, we thank you for tonight and the opportunity to be in your house this, this evening. We thank you for the services you gave us this morning already and for those who started off this brand new year uh, in, uh, in your house, uh, uh, singing praises to you, hearing your word declared. Uh, we thank you for those who were baptized in the second service this morning as well, and and uh, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness and how you've been working, and, and for the guests that we had this morning as well. And I just ask now to, tonight, God, that you'd uh, bless again, that you'd give me the words to speak as I deliver the message here, that you would be honored and glorified through all that is done. And Lord, help us uh, as we consider this parable of the lost sheep, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, your Holy Spirit would guide us, and that we would ultimately be drawn closer to you because of it, that your will might be accomplished, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, back uh, uh, several weeks ago, we were in the, the beginning of Luke chapter 14 as way of recap. And right there, Luke begins in that passage to uh, describe how Jesus went into the house of a chief Pharisee. If you remember this, of course, he was invited into this home, and and uh, and there was a party that was being thrown, and Jesus was going to be a part. And we said, you know, if if we could have been there, we might be prone to saying, "Jesus, don't go," because it's a trap. You know, these 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 Pharisees—they don't have anything good in mind. They don't have any good intentions for you and such. And so we 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 uh, studied through there, and they asked some questions, and and uh, trying to trip Jesus up, but Jesus turned it on them, and they couldn't answer his questions and such, and, and uh, he said, "'Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house might be full.'" And then we, uh, of course, a couple weeks ago, ended ended, uh, chapter number 14 as we looked at what it meant to follow Jesus, to be a a true disciple. And after Jesus left the home of the chief Pharisee, he was still surrounded by this great crowd. We see this in verse number 25 of chapter number 14. It says, "And "'And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, "'If any man come after me, and hate not his father, and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also.'" He cannot be my disciple. And we discussed uh, what it means to be a true disciple and, and the cost of, a, of discipleship. But here we come into chapter number 15. Tonight we read the first seven verses. And uh, it says, as he's going along here, people still drew near him. And uh, those that were around were publicans and sinners uh, to hear Him, the Bible says. And, and uh, the Pharisees and scribes saw all this taking place. And, and uh, as we begin studying Luke chapter 15, we find that Jesus is only weeks away from His crucifixion. This will, of course, uh, culminate and, and finish up the prophecies and His own words uh, that we read about even weeks back in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 44. Where it says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But at this point in our narrative, in the story, Jesus is most likely still in the area of Bethany, uh, near at least, if not uh, approaching the home of one of the chief disciples, one of his closest disciples. And in the first few verses, We discover some uh, preliminary truths tonight. This isn't the message, but we discover some preliminary truths uh, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, about His mission and purpose. Read again with me verses 1 and 2. It says, Then drew near unto Him all the publicans and sinners for to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The first thing that we notice about Jesus, his purpose and mission, is that Jesus was not selective in whom he came to save. Notice who was there in verse number one. Notice who was surrounding him. Notice who he spent time with. The Bible says clearly in verse number one that they drew near to him. These were publicans and sinners. In Mark chapter two, and verse number 17, it says, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus was, descri- was surrounded by a crowd that was described, as we read there, as publicans and sinners. If you're not aware of what a publican is or who they were, the publicans were tax collectors. And uh, the Jewish society in particular looked down upon them, um, partly because of, their, uh, of uh, their dishonest and immoral practices. But specifically, any of them that might be Jews working in that order, because now they're working for the Roman government as well, and they uh, kind of uh, stabbed them, their own people in the back, if you may. And, uh, but nevertheless, we see these are the people that Jesus was surrounded with. These are the people that Jesus was spending time with. And this serves as a reminder to all of us tonight that Jesus was never repulsed by sinners. Jesus does not accept sin. Jesus not, does not uh, condone sin, He does not accept sin, but listen, my friends, He is not repulsed by the sinner. He loves the sinner. Remember, you and I are sinners, and He loves us. In fact, that's why He came and died, because He loved us so much. We find that oftentimes Jesus would welcome society's outcast even quicker and more, uh, uh, more often than he would the religious crowd of his day as well. So the first thing we discover about Jesus' purpose and mission is that he was not selective in whom he came to save. He came for every single individual. That ought to be something we rejoice about tonight. That is a truth that if you are here tonight and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you need to take to heart. You need to understand. I don't understand for any minute why someone would not accept the love of Jesus Christ. But I know I've heard people say that, uh, well, I just can't be saved. God wouldn't love me because of all that I've done and who I am and the places I've been and, and my past and so on and so forth. Well, I'm here to declare to you tonight, my friends, that has no bearing on the love of Christ for you because Jesus came and He is not selective in who He came to save. But the second preliminary truth that we find about Jesus, His purpose and mission is that the religious crowd misunderstood the love of Jesus. Because look at verse number two. Jesus is surrounded by publicans and sinners, and here's the Pharisees and scribes' response. It says, they murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. (gasps) Oh my goodness, he ate with a sinner. What a horrible thing. But that was how they saw it. And they misunderstood the the love of Jesus. They could not understand why Jesus would ever associate with a publican, why Jesus would ever associate with a sinner. In fact, in their mind, they believed that Jesus' kind treatment towards these individuals uh, must have meant that uh, Jesus was just like them and that he was accepting of their lifestyle. My friends, Jesus, as I already said, was not accepting of the lifestyle but he still loved them regardless of the fact that they were living against his will and ways. The reality is this tonight that we're going to see as Jesus speaks this parable in verses 3 through 7. The reality is that Jesus is the true shepherd who loves all people. The Bible says in John 10 verses 11 and 13, Jesus said these words of himself, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In verse number 13, he gives the contrast to that. He says, the hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. As we study this portion of Scripture tonight, I want you to notice, number one with me, as we consider this thought of until he find it. These words are found here in, uh, in uh, the scripture before us. It says in verse number four that having hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And as we consider that thought here this evening, I want you to notice, number one with me, notice the concern of Jesus in verse number four. In verse number four, he says, what man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? See, the parable shows the passionate concern uh, that is evidenced by a shepherd who is willing to leave the entirety of the flock behind in order to search for one, search for one lost sheep. This shows us tonight as Jesus uses this parable. Let me just rewind for a moment and remind you that a parable is a earthly story, but it has a heavenly meaning, has a spiritual implication. And while Jesus is using a story that they could physically and literally relate to, it is teaching a spiritual truth behind it in his message. And as Jesus gives this parable of a shepherd seeking for his lost sheep, notice as he speaks of himself as the good shepherd that it shows his focus on the individual as we consider his concern for us. See, in verse number four, he asks them, What of you if you would have a hundred sheep? If you were to lose one of them, would you not leave the ninety and nine to go find the one? He's putting the ball into their court, if you may. It's interesting to note, though, that there is no creature that is more prone to becoming lost and straying than that of the sheep. And uh, sheep, if you may, I mean, I don't know any better way, plain way to put it. Sheep are dumb animals. And then that fact they're more easily. there's none more easily to stray than the sheep. And the, the sheep in this story is not representative of a physical sheep, though. It's representative of the lost individual. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, as much as this shepherd that's in this story here loves his sheep, he's willing to go out and find it. He's willing to go through the valleys and through the ditches and through the brush or wherever to be able to find this one lost sheep. As much as the shepherd in the story loves that sheep, let me tell you this tonight. Jesus cares even more for the lost souls of mankind. Jesus, using this illustration of the shepherd and his sheep, his flock, He says, listen, any good shepherd would go out to find this lost sheep, declaring the care and compassion uh, and concern that the shepherd would have for his own flock. But He uses this as an illustration to teach how much more he is concerned and cares For the souls of mankind, maybe possibly the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Luke 19 and 10, it says, for the son of man is is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as we consider the purpose of Jesus, as we already discussed in those first two verses, he was not selective in who he came for. He came for every single individual. That shows his care and compassion and concern. But also, my friends, we must understand that as he uses this illustration of a shepherd going to find the lost sheep, he's showing his concern as he focuses on the individual. Jesus walks in the town, and the Bible tells us that he looked upon the people and had compassion on them. As sheep having no shepherd. And while he looked upon the throngs of people and on the multitudes of faces there, he was also able to see them as individuals. You know, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that before you and I were even formed in our mother's womb, he knew us, he knew you, my friend, he knew who you were. He knew what your parents were going to name you. He knew what the color of your hair was going to be. He even counts the numbers of hairs on your head. For some, it's easier than others. But nevertheless, He still does so, and He knows everything about you, you, the individual. John 3.16 says He came because He loved the world. But that world that He loved was not just the, the physical elements of this world. And it wasn't just the multitudes of people that were on this world. It was you, the individual in this world. And notice as we consider the concern of Jesus, his focus on the individual. But notice also with me that he pursues the individual. The Wycliffe Bible commentary says this, a shepherd counted his sheep at the close of each day to make sure that none had strayed. If one was missing... He would search for it immediately. See, this lost sheep, it uh, receives special attention over those that are safe and and sound. We find here in verse number four, it says, uh, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not... Say that next word out loud. Doth not what, church? Say it again. Doth not what? Leave. Leave. That word leave, it's a verb, and it's in the present tense. It indicates this, that the pursuit of the lost sheep is going to continue until it is found. We find Luke 9 and verse 56 says, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went on to other villages, the Scripture says. But understand this tonight, my friends, that when Jesus came, He did not come with just hoping to provide salvation for mankind. He did not come with just putting forth an effort to do so. We can do a lot of things in our life and try to accomplish a lot of things, and we can put our mind to it. In fact, this is the very first Sunday of the year, right? January 2nd. Some of you probably made some New Year's resolutions or set some goals, and sadly, although you had your mindset on it and you had all the willpower in your your heart and life to do it, you've probably already broken that resolution today on day two. It probably took only a few hours to accomplish that yesterday. As you went to bed at midnight or earlier on New Year's Eve, you probably were determined that whatever that goal is is going to be accomplished. I hope that you've been able to stick to it. but Some have probably already broken it. But I'm here to declare to you tonight, my friends, that Jesus did not come just with a hope to and just with a purpose to hopefully accomplish man's salvation. He came and he went all the way to the cross and he was buried. And he rose again to accomplish our salvation. His will that that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as we see this passage, as Jesus used this parable of the shepherd and his sheep, we find, number one, the concern of Jesus. But notice with me number two tonight, the care of Jesus in verses five and six. And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. See, um, uh, uh, upon finding the lost sheep, the shepherd then begins to provide for its physical needs. I mean, just imagine. I don't know, You, you know, you, in, in this particular story, you might start putting your mind together, you might start picturing it and trying to see how this is unfolding, and we've got this shepherd that's, that's leading these 100 sheep through the pastures and everything, and at the end of the night, he's counting them up, and he says, all right, 95, 96, 97, 98, 90, 99? That's a lot of counting to do, to have to go back and check again. Could you imagine trying to, ch- to, to, to count moving sheep? <laughs> it's like counting kids. <laughs> if you've ever taken any group, any, any size group of kids anywhere, and you do a, a, a head count, it's like one, two, three, four, uh, it's all good, they're here. You know what I mean? It, it's like home alone, they're counting heads, and yeah, that's, but it was the wrong kid, and that's how Kevin gets left home in the attic and such, Right? But you, you, you're, you, you're trying to count them, and people are moving here and there, and all of that, and the sheep are moving here and there, and all of that. Could you imagine? He counts once and gets 99. I must have missed one. And so he goes through it again, and there's Johnny, and there's Susie, and there's, you know, he's named all the sheep and all these types of things, and he's counting. He gets 99 again, and maybe he counts just one more time, a third time, just to make sure. And 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. No, surely enough, there's one that's missing so he leaves the 99 and he goes off to try to find it. But if this is at the end of the, of the day, where and when did he lose it? So this is no small task. And in the regions there in the Middle East, it could have been uh, some treacherous terrain that they would have had to go through to try to find it. But he was determined to find it. And when he found it, that sheep was probably prone to maybe even being bumped and bruised. Battered a little bit, maybe it had been attacked by some wild animal out there as well, and so the shepherd picks it up and he tends for its physical needs. He carries the sheep on his own shoulders back to the fold, and this, my friends, is the kind of care that Jesus gives to lost men who come to Him. Notice with me as we consider the care of Jesus. The first part of verse number five, he says, "When he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders." See, when Jesus gave his life and love for mankind to be saved, when we come unto him and he he, he came to find us, he came to save us, he offers to the the lost soul an everlasting security. See, when the shepherd came and he finally finds that sheep, he doesn't kick it and say, you dumb sheep, what's wrong with you? Kicking it all the way back. He picks it up and puts it on his shoulders, and offers a security that can only be found in the shepherd. That's exactly what Jesus does for the lost individual. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 40 and verse 11, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and he shall gently lead those that are with young See, the shepherd in this, in this illustration, this uh, parable, he places the sheep on his shoulders, carries them back to the safety of the fold, and this parable is drawing a clear parallel to God's tender and protect, protective care for the souls of man. As we consider the care of Jesus, not only do we see an everlasting security, but we also see an encouragement for the soul. Because at the last part of verse number five, and in the verse number six, Notice what the shepherd says. He brings them back, carrying them on his shoulders, rejoicing. And in verse number six, it goes as far as this. When he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors. And he calls them together. He says, hey, rejoice with me. For I found that sheep which was lost. The shepherd rejoices after finding the lost sheep and even calls his friends and neighbors to be able to be a part of this and rejoice with him. Darrell Bach he writes about this. He says, given the possibility that the sheep could have been permanently lost, stolen, or destroyed by wild animals, the shepherd rejoices that the lost sheep has been found. This theme of rejoicing is going to be seen again later on in this chapter of chapter 15 when the prodigal son, uh, he returns back home. And we read in verses 22 through 24 of the same chapter, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. First Peter 2 and 25 says, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. As we see tonight, number one, the concern of Jesus. Secondly, tonight, the care of Jesus. But thirdly, before we close, notice with me the commitment of Jesus. In verse number seven, it says, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. See this brief parable, these just few verses that we've read tonight, it closes with the promise that there will be joy in heaven for each sinner that comes to God in repentance. Notice with me that there is a rescue for the repentant. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus came for the sinner. And he declares this through this parable of the shepherd and his lost sheep. Every single one of us were born in sin. And we must admit that there is a need. We must admit that we need saving, that we need rescued from our sinful state. But isn't it true that the hardest person to to save or to rescue is the one who's trying to save or rescue themselves. I think I've shared it before, but several years ago, we were still in Arkansas. And we were on vacation, and my pastor there had a, a, a lake home a few uh, hours away, and he uh, allowed us to, 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 to use it for a week uh, uh, up there. And so we went there, and like I said, it's right on the lake, so we did some fishing and such, but um, it's right on the, on the river, and so... Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily safe to go swimming in, and so we found a pool in town. So we go to the pool, and we go swimming there and everything, and Claire had been taking uh, some uh, swimming lessons prior to this, and I had taken her, or at least attended with uh, her for, for one of them, and I watched her. At the end, if she had done a good job, the lifeguards and the trainers would let them go up onto the, the diving board there during the, at the end of the lessons and jump off into their arms and get them back over to the side and all that. Well, the pool where I had a diving board, and I thought, Claire would enjoy jumping off the diving board. And I've watched these lifeguards and these instructors teaching Claire catch these children and get them off over to the side to safety, and, and uh, they just enjoy the time. I said, I- I'm not a professional swimmer. I'm not a lifeguard, but I swim pretty well. I could do that. So I said, Claire, you want to jump off the diving board? She said, Yeah. So I send her out of the pool and w- running around, and I swim on down to the deep end, and I'm sitting there tre- treading water, keeping myself afloat and everything. And here she comes up on the diving board, and, and uh, she creeps over to the edge like this. She's there on the edge, and she, I'm like, all right, Claire, go ahead and jump off. And she's standing there, and she starts to, but then steps back. I'm like, come on, Claire, jump off. This goes on for quite a while. I'm sitting there trying to tread water. I'm getting tired out already and everything. Finally, I'm like Claire, just jump. So she gathers up all the courage she can, and she jumps off. And she jumps as hard as she can because she doesn't want to jump short of me. She's afraid of not being able to get to me and such. So she jumps, and she jumps right onto my head. <laughs> Immediately, I go underwater. And, I'm, and it's okay because, listen, I mean, I'll just hit the bottom and I'll push back up real quick and come above and crest the water and swim, over, swim her over to the side and everything's gonna be fine. The only problem was uh, she wasn't heavy enough and then it came on with enough force for me to actually reach the bottom. So as I'm going under, trying to hold her up, I'm doing this number, trying to push <laughs> off and there's no floor. So now I'm kicking with all of my might trying to get back above water. And, of course, you know what happens next. She goes into survival mode and starts climbing on me like a ladder, (laughs) pushing my head underwater. (laughs) Then it dawned on me. The reason why the lifeguards were able to do this so easily and make it look so effortless was because they were using life rings to help keep themselves afloat. Did I realize the tragic mistake that I had made? that I did not have one of those. And with all of my might and every ounce of strength in me, I <laughs> held her up with one arm and swam like this with the other and kicked my feet and finally got her to, uh, close enough to the edge and shoved her to the edge to where she could get up and be pulled out. And I finally grabbed the ledge myself, pulled myself out, and just laid there. <laughs> all the while, the lifeguard that was on duty watched it all and never tried to <laughs> offer any help. My family looked at me like, what is wrong with this guy? As I'm laying on the side of the pool, almost dying, I, I, I'm literally, my life flashed before my eyes during this time. I'll t- I say that because, listen, as well as I thought I could swim, there, I had never experienced the fight than the, from, than the fight that I had experienced from one who was trying to save themselves. See, if she would have just relaxed, I could have easily got her over to the edge and got her to safety. But in her mind, her, she went into survival mode and said, I have to save myself. And there was a fight that took place. The same is true for mankind and their lost and sinful state. The hardest one to, sa- to, to rescue is the one who's trying to save themselves. You don't know how many people I talk to. Regularly, I talk to people, talk to them about salvation, talk to them about whether or not they know Christ as their Savior, whether or not they've been born again, and I hear the same things over and over. Oh, yeah, I grew up in church. Oh, yeah, I was baptized as a kid. Oh, yeah, my parents were, were, my, my dad was a preacher. Oh, yeah, this and that. And it was all based off of works of them trying to save themselves. And I'll even go to scripture and say, don't you see that that will not save you, that Jesus alone and faith in him alone, by his grace, is all that saves. We cannot save ourselves. And they say, oh yeah, I understand that. I believe that Jesus died for me. So you've trusted Jesus as Savior. Oh yeah, I've done that before. Well, tell me about how you did that. Well, I was baptized. And it's just over and over and over again because they won't relinquish the grip of trying to save themselves and in total faith just surrender to Jesus. My friends, there is a rescue for the repentant, but there has to be an admittance of our need for salvation. See, no one can measure up to God's perfect holiness. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And just like the lost sheep in the wilderness, the sinner is hopelessly lost without any ability to free himself from sin. Romans 5 and 6 says, for when we were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. There is a rescue for the repentant, but we must admit our need. We must believe also in his payment. See, through the finished work of Jesus Christ is how the rescue is accomplished. God can declare us righteous through his finished work. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John three eighteen says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John three and thirty-six says he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but he but the wrath of God abideth in him. Romans 3, verses 24 and 25 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And there is a rescue for the repentant, but we must admit our need. We must believe in his payment. We must trust him exclusively. We can't add anything to it, we must trust him exclusively. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. One could never earn their own salvation. We must rely on Christ alone. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans ten nine: if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. John 1 and 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So tonight, as we consider the commitment of Jesus, we understand there is a rescue for the repentant, but notice also that there is a rejoicing for the repentant. Verse number seven says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Heaven is filled with rejoicing. Heaven is filled with glory. When one comes to know Christ as their Savior. Why? Because the purpose that Jesus came to this earth for, to find the lost, has been accomplished. When one trusts Christ as their Savior, calls upon the name of the Lord, and is born again, they have been found. And heaven rejoices. Just as the shepherd came and said, hey, neighbors, hey, friends, let's rejoice because I found my lost sheep, the angels and those in heaven rejoice because one has been found in Jesus Christ. Jesus' application of the parable emphasizes the shared joy from heaven's perspective. The repentance of a sinner is cause of great joy in heaven. And my friends, it ought to be a cause of great joy here on earth as well for the believer. We ought to rejoice with those that have been saved. And it's God's desire that men would be saved. We already mentioned it earlier, but 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, there's rejoicing for the repentant because He is found. There's rejoicing for the repentant because He has a home in heaven. The Bible tells us there in verse number 7, that there's rejoicing in heaven over that one that repent, re- repenteth because that one has just, just received the keys, if you may, to the home in heaven. And will spend eternity there with others. John 14 verses 1 through 6 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, those without Christ... As their Savior are seen in Scripture as lost, and as Jesus uses this parable of the lost sheep and the desire for the Shepherd of the Shepherd to have that sheep found, God has provided for our rescue by sending the Great Shepherd, the Good Shepherd Jesus Christ, and who, whoever receives Him is redeemed from sin and is promised home in heaven. So, the question tonight, as we close have you been found? See, the Bible tells us that Jesus came, and as the shepherd goes, he seeks until he found it. Until he found what? That lost sheep. Jesus came, and he accomplished everything necessary for you to be found. But have you been? Have you trusted him? Have you accepted him? Have you called upon his name? Have you been born again? Nicodemus, a religious man, came to Christ and he says, "'Hey, you know, how can I be saved?' He said, "'You must be born again.'" Nicodemus said, "'What do you mean I must be born again? Do I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time?' And Jesus said, "'I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth.'" Marvel not that I say unto thee, "'Ye must be born again.'" So have you been? Have you been born again? And if you have, my friends... Have you considered, have you considered, the great care, and concern, and compassion and commitment that our Savior, the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd has given for us to be able to receive such a great love, to receive such a great salvation? Could I invite you to stand with me tonight, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed here this evening? We're going to have a time of invitation. Just out of respect of others, no one looking around. No, our heads bowed, please. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I do know for sure that I'm saved. I know that I've been found of Jesus Christ. I have been born again. And If I died tonight, heaven's my home, and I'd stand before my Savior, and I'd hear, welcome home, child. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and write back down, hands all across this auditorium of folks testifying that they know Christ, they've been born again, and I praise the Lord for that. To be able to be in the presence of other believers, you can put your hands down. Would there happen to be anyone here, though, tonight? It doesn't matter whether or not you've been here for a long time or whether or not you're relatively new. See, Jesus didn't come to seek only those who never heard of him or seek only those who weren't religious at all. He came for everyone, as we've already noted tonight. So I'm not talking about your church membership status. I'm not talking about your your religious lifestyle. I'm talking about whether or not we know Christ as our personal Savior. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm. I'm not trying to, to make you feel like you don't know Christ. But I want you to truly examine your heart. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? And if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I do not know for sure that I'm saved. I do not know for sure that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. Could I just simply pray for you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you? I'm not sure that I'm saved. Then one last question. Here, who here would say, Pastor, I am saved. I know that to be true. Pastor, as we consider this story that the Lord gave of this shepherd and his lost sheep, that he was willing to go out and go through anything to be able to find it. First off, I want to say, Pastor, pray with me that I'll never get over the great love and compassion that God has given to me in saving me. But secondly, pastor, pray with me, because as Christ has saved me and left me here on this earth to accomplish His work and mission, that makes reaching the lost my mission as well. And who here would say, pastor, pray with me, that, either, that one, one or two or both even, pastor, pray with me that I'll never get over God's love for me, and pastor, pray with me that I would enter into the work of God in trying to reach the lost sheep with his gospel message. Can I pray with you? Slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. When I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke into your heart, I'm going to invite you here to the front, to the altar if you're able, or maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord as He spoke unto you tonight. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you loved us enough to come and to seek us that we might be saved. The fact that you died on the cross, that you were buried and rose again just to display your love, to demonstrate how you cared for us and and that you truly desire to have a relationship with, with us. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. Now, Lord, have your way in this invitation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.